Chila Gurudev Ki Jai Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Shri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktivrinda Ki Jai Gaur Pramam Haribu So Good afternoon, welcome to all of you. Thank you so much for your coming and to the local devotees for the invitation here again. So, today we are in our last meeting of this series concerning Bhagavan's prayers to, to his devotees, especially in the context of uh, Bhagavan in Bhaikuntha, basically chanting the glories of. Ambarish in front of Durvas, but this extending to, to all the devotees, basically. Ambarish representing the Bhakta principle, the Bhakta Tattva, if you will. And as we were, have been mentioning in a very interesting way, giving glimpses of what's even beyond Vaikuntha, or in the most intimate chambers of Vaikuntha, what we call sometimes the Mahavaikuntha or the Vaikuntha Van, the forest. Baikunta. It doesn't seem there is force in Baikunta, but there is. <laughs> and there Narayan appears, floating hand and very unique form. <laughs> so, and all this again pointing to the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam, just coming after this section of the ninth canto, fourth chapter. So today we'll be studying the last of these six verses, verse 68. But as usual, let's make some brief or who knows how long, recap <laughs> regarding yesterday and very quickly all the verses we have been going through till now. So, the first verse of this six, Bhagavan was telling to him, I am un- totally under the control of my devotees. I do not belong to myself, I belong to them. Hmm? They are hiding in the inner, inner, inner most intimate corner of my heart, vice versa. Even the devotees of my devotees are Along, I'm controlled by them, basically. I am attracted to them. So this starts to unfold the idea of how powerful Bhakti is. In, in connection to Bhagavan, so what to speak, in connection to us. I mean, Bhakti is extremely influential <laughs> with the Bhagavan himself. So we are not Bhagavan. So we can just start to, to imagine, to conceive how Bhakti can affect our life as the Jesus. So the second verse Bhagavan was saying, even the bliss I found in my own self intrinsically, the different opulences that made me who I am as Bhagavan are not so interesting as when I found the opulence of love, if you will, in my devotees, of my Swarup Shakti personifying that different figures that I can have the possibility of interacting with, basically. So the third verse, Bhagavan was saying, and why this is so? Because my devotees have abandoned everything for me. For my sake, they have given up everything. Attachment to everything, including to their own self, to their own life, which means to their own separate, independent sense of being. They cannot think, conceive of themselves without me at their very core, in the very center of their life. So the, the implication is, therefore, I reciprocate accordingly. I cannot, but consider myself in connection to them. Their love defines me, Bhagavan is basically saying. Again, this is Vishnu in Vaikuntha. 
not Krishna and Vrindavan yet. So how much that applies there? Again, we go to this Kaimotanyaya. How much? What if? <laughs> if this will be applied to Krishna, what will be the consequences of that? Well, we are just getting closer in this section of the Bhagavad Then the fourth verse, there Bhagavan was saying, the same way that the chaste wife uh, controls her virtuous husband by the force of pure service, selfless service, in the same way I'm controlled by the chaste, by chaste saintly devotees by the force of their service and just like controlling them. So similarly, this applies to Swarup Shakti being the chaste wife, the Shakti, being totally surrendered to the Shakti Mam, the energetic source, but for the pleasure of it, so, and Krishna being controlled. So Krishna is controlled, but by his own gen- energy in, this, in his own service. So that's how it plays out. And yesterday we were studying the fifth verse, where Bhagavan would say, Matsivaya Pratitam Te Salukyadi Chatustaya Nichanti Sivaya Purna Kutanyat Kalaviplutam. So my devotees, they, they find so much. Uh, fullness in the idea of seva. Here he's not using the words sadhu or sadhava like previous words, but he's using the word seva twice, which has to do with those who perform the seva. It's another way of saying sadhu again. So my sevakas, they are so purna, so full in their seva to me, that they even disdain these principles of emancipation, redemption, mukti, starting with Salokya. So what to speak of Sayuja? We are, they are not even speaking of Sayuja, but Salokya, these devotional types of Mukti by Kuntha, they do not care for that. And he is speaking these things in Vaikuntha. <laughs> so he's pointing somewhere else, ideally. Mm-hmm. And what to speak of lower, lower temporary goals beyond Mukti, because Mukti is an eternal achievement. It's something that you achieve and will accompany you forever. Mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting investment someone something that will take you to eternity and will remain with you forever no fear and he said no my devotees are not interested in that so we can infer infer they won't be interested in anything lower than that so yesterday we were explaining briefly that almost every sampradaya even Vaishnava sampradaya and what to speak other schools they are aspiring for mukti as the ultimate converging point on everything they are doing. All the efforts already condensed, sacrifice, trying to reach that point, in some form of mukti. As our Guru Maharaj was explaining the other day, uh, on the basis of something we were speaking some weeks ago, and he mentioned to me in a message, and in an email, and I shared that with Subal, and then Guru Maharaj shared that same thing in one call, <laughs> and I shared in one lecture, so it was pretty significant for both. <laughs> the insight he came to, which was, we were speaking about how different yogis or practitioners of other paths, they are investing so much energy, time, effort, in order to achieve some particular goal with lots of dedication and sacrifice. And the goal is somehow or other, not our goal. So we could say it's a lower goal with all respect. (laughs) But objectively speaking, it's not so defined, so accompanied by rasa, whatever. But they may be doing much more effort and sacrifice than we may be doing. <laughs> and he was saying to me, well, we should do the same type of effort at least and to try to to clean our minds to begin with. What to speak of? And that's not our ultimate goal. 
So he was saying, now they are getting, doing all that effort for some form of mukti, we could say some stop suffering, we should do the same amount. To invoke grace, of course, but that requires some lots of effort. So, so here Bhagavan is speaking about those devotees who are really investing themselves into their ideal, really getting committed to the ideal, taking that seriously, understanding this is so great dispensation, this is the most serious thing that came to my life. Once someone asks Srila Prabhupada, why sometimes you appear so serious in some pictures? It seems that if you are angry. <laughs> I say because Christian consciousness is something very serious. You cannot take that cheaply. It's not a joke. It's not a hobby. You say hobby? Mm-hmm. Like weekend hobby, something is serious. I mean, at every moment. Of course, those who take the practice seriously will, will be the ones who will smile more beautifully also. Mm-hmm. No? So when he was, Prabhupada was smiling also, <laughs> that was very special. No? So, <laughs> so, so bhaktiyas and yatriya bhaktiyas. These type of devotees, say Bhagavan here, they are practicing bhakti for bhakti's sake. And they receive interestingly automatically this mukti and they do not care for that. Interestingly. So they aspire for something else. Mukti is coming, as we say, folded hands. No, thank you. They are after something else. An idea above mukti, post liberated life. So again, what to speak of something lower? Temporary attainment. And Durbasa was personifying this temporary attainment. Or even eternal. Mukti as a Brahma body or. Temporary attention, he himself taking care of his body. An Ambarish, not interesting in anything of that. <laughs> so some ideas we shared yesterday. So today we are arriving to our last verse. So let me read it. Invoke first the Sanskrit and then we can share translation and some unfolding of that. <clears throat> sadabo again sadabo sadabo hridayam mayam sadunam hridayam tvam madanyatina jananti maham tebhyumanagapi so here Bhagavan is concluding his dissertation about bhakti and bhakta tattva to Durbhas saying the saintly devotees are my very heart while I am the very heart of the saints they do not know anything else but me, and I know nothing at all other than them. This is the last word of Bhagavan in this about this. Well, something else you have to say about whatever you have said till now? Okay, let let put it in brief, poetic, romantic terms. I am their heart, they are my heart. I don't know anything about them. They do not know anything else about me but me. We are totally in love. <laughs> and some butterflies appear in their life. <laughs> so this is the last verse, which is a very interesting one. The first verse, as we say, really like kind of gives the whole idea, which is unpacked in the following verse. And this last verse kind of make full circle and again, from different angles, trying to say the very same thing. So here Bhagavan is saying Sadhava Hridayam Mahyam. So Sadhava means what do you mean? Sadhava? We already explained the term. Okay. So it's a plural for the devotees. No? Sadhus, devotees, saintly devotees. Sadhava Hridayam Mahyam. Hridayam means? Mm-hmm. And Mahyam means 
in of me. Hmm? So, my the, my devotees are my heart, basically. He says, and then he says, Sadunam Hridayam Tuaham. So, Sadunam in this case means of the devotees. Again, Hridayam, their hearts, to indeed Aham, me. So, my devotees are my heart. First line, second line. I'm the heart of my devotees. Exactly. Just in case you didn't understand directly, indirectly, both ways, those things were there. And third line is say, Mat Anyat Tena Jananti. Mat Anyat means apart from me. Anyat means other. So, other than Mat, me. Te means they. Na Jananti. So, Na means not. And Jananti has to do with know, knowing. So, apart from me, they do not know anything. <laughs> And the last line, of course, it will say, Naham Tibya Managati. Na means no. Aham. Yeah, me. Tebya means than them. Manak api means, I mean, even a little fraction means Managapi. So it means the same applies to me in relation to them. Even a little fraction will imply, not even for a moment, we can think of something else apart from each other, basically. That's the idea. I mean, there is no little interruption in that trance of love. So, maybe this is, this is the most well-known verse of this section, apart from the first one that was also pretty well-known. But this is a really well-known verse of the Bhagavad. Uh, and, I don't know, true falling in love is depicted here. I mean, really. Because you, we may use the word, I fell in love. Let's see <laughs> how uninterrupted is that flow. Because really, fall in love is means, I'm, I mean, it's like obsession, obsessive, in this healthy way, healthy way. Like sometimes Guru Maharaj quotes the, the gopis when they want to forget Krishna for a while, and they make the best effort, more than the one we are making for remembering him. <laughs> and they fail similarly to us. <laughs> We fail to remember him, they fail to forget about him. Because they are so much in love. They say, let's forget Krishna for a while. He's giving us a good amount of headaches. Headache? Headaches? Yeah. Huh? He's quite tricky. So let's give our mind a rest for a minute. Actually, they do not want. It's just like, I mean. But okay, let's try, let's try. It's just want to make a point. And all of them sit in a circle like joginis, tapasis, like, trying to think about something else, <laughs> whatever, anything. That's important, interesting point. We, were, we tried to think about Krishna, not about whatever. But they were trying to think about whatever, and they couldn't. It's not that, okay, I'm just thinking about Krishna, I have to think about my uncle. Only that unit, that specific direction. No, about anything, except for Krishna. Not about, there's, after one minute, they look at each other, so... Hmm? What to do? <laughs> At the end, we didn't, we didn't want to forget him, so no problem. <laughs> so, this is very nicely depicted here. As, as in other sections of scripture, we find this type of presentations also in the Bhagavad In the Gita, in the sixth, ver- sixth chapter, although it's speaking mainly about Dhyan, meditation, but you have a glimpse of you can have the ultimate application, Jumam Pasyati Sarvatra Sarvam Chamai Pasyati. Etc. 
Krishna is saying the same thing there. For one who sees me everything and sees everything in me, I'm never lost for that person and that person is never lost to me. If you apply that in the ultimate terms, you get to this type of idea. And Krishna in love with his devotees, his devotees in love with, with Sri Hari. So, here Bhagavan is saying, they do not know anything apart from me. So that's an interesting idea. It sounds like ignorance. They only know me. Nothing else. They don't have ears for anything else. They do not have eyes for anything else. All their, one name of Sri Radha is Krishna Mai. She's the ultimate personification of love for Krishna. So Krishna Mai means filled with Krishna in and out. So whenever her, she has cast a glance, as we said the other day, Krishna, Krishna. She sees a cloud and she starts to pray, may I have wings so I can fly in the sky, embrace the cloud, because for her the cloud is Udipana for Krishna. Krishna. Tamal tree and so on. Everything. Everything is Udipana. It's a stimulant for Krishna. And as our Guru Mahasaya said the other day, eventually our practice should be conducted in such a way that everything becomes Udipana in our practice. Everything becomes something that is stimulating the, our love for our object of affection specifically. We shall have to begin somewhere. But the whole world has the potential of becoming Anudipana. That's, a, that's the ultimate version of Yukta Vairagya. The carpet can be Anudipana. Don't ask me why, how, but it has the potential. <laughs> Everything. The glass. You see the glass and you will see the flower and the tree and the vine and, the, and your mind will go. Some, po- some, some poetic connection will be there and you are thrown into the lila by this single piece of metal. That won't be a single piece of metal anymore. <laughs> it will be a portal. So We have to prepare gravelly for that. It's a whole world of emotions. So here is the ultimate version of... You have this saying here in the States, no? Ignorance is bliss. So here you have it. No? The best application of that. Of course, the original version has nothing to do with Gyansunya Bhakti. <laughs> but here we, we see that. Ideally, Gyansunya Bhakti Sila Maharaj will call it brain dead bhakti. <laughs> no, I mean, brain dead bhakti means you have used your head as much as you could, and your head says, Okay, I retire now. Full heart. No, that's what you see in Brindavan. It seems they do not have a, like too much of an intellectual uh, expression there. But of course, when they come here in Gaur Lila, you have a Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Jiva Goswami, <laughs> but all of them appearing in Krishna Lila as apparently uncivilized village girls, you know, which do not, won't know any single birth from the Bhagavatam by heart, maybe. Of course, they themselves are the Bhagavatam. <laughs> so, but ignorance is bliss, basically, that's the idea here. You know, I do not know anything apart from, for, I mean, in order to know something, you have to ignore something else. In order to pay attention in one direction, you cannot pay attention to another direction. So, at, when we speak about attention, focus, we are speaking about ignorance and distraction of something else. You follow? So, that's the point here. I mean, it's not that they do not know anything. They know me, Krishna is saying, which is everything. So, <laughs> there's nothing outside of him, strictly speaking. So, strictly speaking, they are knowing in the most comprehensive way. But it seems... They only not love me. I mean, here's by Kunta Narayan speaking, but for us it's pointing somewhere else. And those are the samskars we have received. So, 
that's the idea, no? interestingly, Brindavan, they know each other only. Krishna knows only his devotees, the devotee only knows Krishna, and they know each other so well. Gurmash points this in the Brahmi Mohan Lila when Krishna advances for one year as each of the calves, each of the friends, to such so well he, he makes the expansion, if you will, that none of the cows, none of the mothers of the child recognize these are not my sons, these are not my calves. They actually feel a special attraction to them. So this means he, Krishna, knew them, each of them so well that he was able to manifest that form that resembles. So that's how nicely he knows their hearts. And of course, that speaks about how themselves know Krishna's heart. Again, this is always reciprocal. We have to get accustomed to thinking in this like two-way dynamics, no? because love is reciprocal. So be careful not to get stuck only thinking about whatever. Krishna giving, but the devotee is passive, or the devotee only giving, and what's happening with God. It's just fully reciprocal. Always, always. So... <clears throat> so each one is each other's heart, basically. That's the, the poetical depiction here. The devotees are Krishna's heart. Krishna is the devotee's heart. Mm-hmm. So they know each other so well. And down the devotees know Krishna so well, they, they do not have time to know him as God even, basically. <laughs> they know him in intimate terms so much that the idea of God, I mean, there's no time for that. Because they're knowing him, as Guru Mahesh would say, by loving him. Loving is the knowing. And there is such knowing in loving that there is no place for other types of knowing. So that's the idea here. We only knew each other and nothing else. That means we love each other so much that there is no time for other levels of knowing even each other. Because you can know Krishna in terms of his Aishwarya, he's the source of everything. But Vrindavan, they have no time for that. As we mentioned, when the idea comes, Krishna may be God, who knows? <laughs> the Brajabhasis only increase their, their maduria, their intimacy is like overflowing oh, my friend is God, such a great friend I have <laughs> my son is God wow, I'm so proud as a mother that my son is God my beautiful baby <laughs> and Batsalia just get upgraded basically <laughs> that never gets in the way so that's a very unique realm so again in, in this last section of, of, of the very gist of this section, which was stated in the very beginning, and of course it's not only this section, it's the main point of the Bhagavad, is reaffirmed here in this conclusion, which is basically love is the goal of life, hmm? not God. Hmm? Which again is a very unique conclusion. God is not the goal. We don't want God. We want love for God. If we, want, if we have love for God, we have God. If we have God, without love for God, we may not even have God. <laughs> because you say I want God why <laughs> for loving him no mm. so I, I'm not so sure if you have God in that case God is for loving him if you want something else regarding God he starts to become less and less what he actually is <laughs> and of course when you love him too much he starts to become less and less God <laughs> but more and more himself when you want God to serve you, he is not himself, he's not even God. He becomes some doormat at your house and you want him to do whatever you like. And <laughs> you have your own mental concoction about whatever is going on there. So. 
So for us, love is the goal of life. And Bhagavan is in here. Love is the goal of God's life. God has a prayojan also. For us, the goal of life is Prem Prayojan. For Bhagavan, the goal of life is Prem Prayojan. <laughs> we share a common goal. That helps to feel God close to us. The two of us are striving after a similar objective. You know, we are. It's a teamwork here. And we need him and he needs us for that. <laughs> now, you won't attain that goal without me. <laughs> he will say, I won't attain my goal without you. So, okay, we need to be both of us together. So that's the arrangement, basically. <laughs> yeah, what to do. <laughs> so that's the idea. Wherever, as Kurmas will say, there is love. Wherever there, the saints are, God is there. Mm-hmm. I'm not in Vaikuntha. It seems he is in Vaikuntha, but he's saying, I'm not in Vaikuntha. I'm not in the hearts of the yogis. I'm there when one, two, or more of my devotees get together and start to share their hearts with me in the center. It's like a way of saying, that's real Vaikuntha, that's real yoga, that's real me. Hmm? So that's where I am, in the heart of the devotees. Hmm? That's the most safe place, as Guru Mahesh will say. Some people may say God is not existing, but more difficult to deny love of God. So you, when you find the personification of that, hmm, it's calm. It's, I mean, what to do with that? You have to... You cannot close your eyes too much. So that's a real truth here, that Bhagavan himself is saying with so much pride, in, in the humble pride, if you will, with so much love. No, I do not belong to myself. Someone else is in my heart, and I am in someone else's heart. I am not in my own heart. Someone else is in my heart, and I am not here. I, and that's the point he wants to make, as we will see, to Durbas. You are begging forgiveness to me, but I am somewhere else. I'm not here. I'm in Ambarish's heart. <laughs> so, that's real true. In, in India, when someone is saying something that you may, have, you may have heard, they will say, if you say something that is really true, really accurate, and really nice, they will say, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Now, sadhu has meaning, different meanings. Now, not necessarily they are saying, you are a saintly person. But sadhu also means sat, as we say, like true. It's like a way of exclaiming. You say in English also like bravo? Mm-hmm. Like bravo, bravo, bravo. <laughs> they don't have too much the applause, so they will say sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> so that also means like so true, so true. So here we say that in connection to what Bhagavan is saying. He's saying, my sadhus are my very heart. My sadhus, and we say sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> Your sadhus, 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 sadhus. That's so true, that's so true. <laughs> no. And we feel that, that's intuitive. Our, our own guts are confirming that. <laughs> and Krishna's own transcendental guts are also confirming that. I'm in my heart of myself. So, the devotees are the very heart of Bhagavan. Bhagavan is the very heart of the devotees. As Guru Mahas will say, even at certain point of their practice, Paramatma starts to, you start to, how do you say, bid farewell mm-hmm. to Paramatma. Because Paramatma, as we mentioned in the first class, is the manifestation of the Absolute that is mainly 
monitoring monitoring on this aspect of creation tatastha shakti maya shakti but when you incorporate enough swarup shakti to be more on the other side and here paramatma is no longer oper- oper- operative no? yeah operative because its function is more on the realm of maya shakti and tatastha shakti so when swarup shakti is entering more and more paramatma starts to say goodbye or you say goodbye to Paramatma in a respectful way and the Easter Devi starts to be enthroned in your heart because that's the whole idea. The famous picture of Hanuman proves that. Hanuman does not have Paramatma. <laughs> we are not insulting Hanuman by saying that. We are glorifying him. So you have seen this famous picture. He's like tearing apart his chest and Have you seen Paramatma there? Never. Paramatma is not there. It's that less? No. His sister Devata is there. Sitaram. So, and if you, turn, if you open, hypothetically, the, the chest of Ramachandra, you will see Hanuman there. <laughs> We should make that, that picture as well. <laughs> Because again, it's reciprocal. We are saying here, no? Krishna is saying, I'm the heart of my devotees, but... They are my heart, so we should have the two pictures together. <laughs> Hanuman turning apart the chest, Ramachandra turning apart the chest, and one is there, the other is there. And we are speaking here, Ramachandra, Bhagavan Narayan, what to speak again? Raja Krishna, what to speak? Sriman Mahaprabhu, Mahabhadanya, Avatar, so generous, so merciful, and so on. So let's share some, some of the insects shared by our Purvacharis in this in connection to this verse with your permission. So let's go first with the Krama Sandarva, Silajiva Goswami, commenting on this verse. So very simply, it's only one line what Jiva Goswami says in Krama Sandarva, which is very beautiful. So he said mutually the Lord and the devotee share their hearts. End of the commentary. <laughs> Try to ruminate on that. They're sure exchange of hearts. Here is mine, here is yours. Thank you so much. I close with the and I swallow the key or something like that. I put the password and I and I forget the number. It's okay. No, no chance of escaping. Sometimes poetically that's depicted like that. Krishna is depicted like a bumblebee for many reasons, in many lilas. And the devotees are depicted as a lotus. So the hearts of the devotees are like lotus, lotuses, which have nectar pollen. So the bumblebees attracted to the aroma and the intoxicating flavor of the pollen. So the bumblebee enters the pollen, which represents the, the love of the devotee, the sweet intoxicating elixir. So the bumblebee starts to drink the pollen and becomes like totally drunk. Well, that's Krishna, a drunk bumblebee. Someone asks you, who is your God? You can define him like that. I hope that will, they will understand the idea. <laughs> Introductory terms. Who, which God do you worship? A black, drunk bumblebee. <laughs> that was rather animal say, especially the Brahma Gita. So, <laughs> and he becomes so drunk there, that it, the, the night comes and the lots start to close. But the bumblebee... Didn't realize his days now. He remains no, getting more and more drunk. <laughs> and he's happy there. 
He says, oh no, I got trapped there, I want to go out. No, I don't have anything to do outside here. No, she remains like that. The day comes, the lotus opens, bumblebee keeps. And, and similarly, the, lot, the hearts of Krishna is like a lotus, and the devotees are falcon. Each one is bumblebee to each other, if you will. <laughs> and the two of them remain like locked in the lotus of their hearts and drinking the nectar of their love for each other like, perpetually. So again, it's poetry, but poetry is the, the currency in the higher realm. I mean, that's the, how you, you, need, you deal with stuff there. <laughs> it's in poetry, because there's nothing else to say. So again, here we are speaking about interchangeable hearts. Siladji Goswami gives this analogy. You know? They share the hearts. They are interchangeable. And that's the whole idea of bhakti, that your heart, you, I mean, first we have to establish nothing belongs to you, which is a basic teaching, actually, <laughs> compared to this. Nothing belongs to you. Once one devotee told me that, he went to Sister Lassidar Maharaj for the first time, personally, so you can imagine such a moment. He was anticipating that for long time, in the 80s. So he entered the room, the historical room, and the, how do you call it, outside part where he was? Branda. So he entered that, he already knew that section from the videos, and he wanted to be... So he fall in Dandava Pranam to the feet of Silasimara, and Silasimara said, what does belong, what's yours? What's yours? Like, what does it belong to you? What's yours? That was the welcome words. It was not, hello, how are you? What's your name? Where are you coming from? Well, what's yours? So the devotee was like, how, what I'm supposed to say here? Well, similar to when Prabhupada said to Guru Mahas, you're a woman, I'm so beautiful. <laughs> so he thought, what I'm supposed to say here? He's testing me, so I should say something. The correct thing is what? The devotee was not expecting that welcome, so... What's yours? And the devotee was unable to reply. And Sri insisted, what's yours? And Sri realized he, he's not able to reply. So he said, close your eyes. Close your eyes. So then Sri asked the Kim, what do you see? To what the devotee replied? What do you see with eyes closed? Oh, nothing, nothing. I wanted nothing. Thank you. So should I say my reply? That's yours. So that was the beginning filter introductory for having interchange with exchange with someone like Silas Maharaj. If you want to take advantage of his kata, first you have to have certain things in place. <laughs> so that's again preliminary preparation. Nothing is yours. Then we go to the point I mean nothing belongs to me. On top of that, I do not belong to me. That's an interesting point. So the question is, the, the real question is not what does belong to me, but who I belong to. So here in this verse, this is being clearly depicted. Krishna himself, Bhagavan is saying, who he belongs to. And of course, he's also sharing who, who the devotees belong to. So, so each of them do not possess themselves. Krishna does not possess himself, the devotees do not possess themselves, but they possess, are possessed by each other, by the strength of love. As we say, they do not want to control each other, but they, they end up doing so, by the nature of love. Actually, love is con- controlling both, basically, the strength of love. 
also in his Paramatma Sandharva, Srila Jiva Goswami, since we are speaking about Srila Jiva Goswami, <coughs> he's saying the Paramatma Sandharva that in, in this, this verse negates the opinion that Bhagavan lacks self-satisfaction. Because someone may say, okay, Bhagavan is, again, looking for joy somewhere with city devotees, that means he's not self-satisfied. But again, the point is, no, he does not lack self-satisfaction because he only finds joy with the devotees which represent the personification of his own intrinsic potency. So he's not going, strictly speaking, outside of himself. He obtains full satisfaction through his internal potency, through his own heart. Hmm? Described here as his devotees. In other words, Krishna's heart, Bhagavan's heart, is made of bhakti. Bhagavan's heart is made of bhaktas. Bhagavan's heart is made of sarup shakti, whatever, however you may like to call it. That's his heart made of. So the next question is, what's our heart made of now? And how it should be altered and transformed into the same quality, the spiritual quality of Bhagavan. <laughs> And of course, also something important in this connection, although it's not directly stated, but we also mentioned, by Bhagavan speaking so much about how much he loves his devotees, which indirect implication can you draw from that? If Bhagavan is telling you so many times, I love them so much, I love them so much, they are my heart, I am their heart, what you can take from that indirectly? what we should not do in connection to the devotees. Okay, that's the point. <laughs> Thank you. So that's why this section also is very famous in connection to instructing us regarding Vaishnava Purat. Indirectly, but when I say, I love them so much, if you really got, catch the idea, we will conclude, okay, they are so special for him, the worst thing I can do is abuse them, basically. Because I'm abusing Bhagavan's own heart, basically. So this section is also mainly instructing us on the gravity of gravity, you say, of Vaishnava opera, which is another main lesson in this section that will prevent us from accessing higher realms. I mean, if you really embrace Vaishnava opera, there is no real entrance. And it's, this, is not, this is not like paranoia or fear-based thing, like you, I don't know, because you can take that as a tool for going crazy, basically. <laughs> Even you yourself, without saying that to any other one. Oh, I'm offending, I'm it's not for that. No? But, I mean, there is a place for caution. So, directly, indirectly, the same point is made here. So, because of that, offenses to the devotees are so serious. It's important to understand when the scriptures speak very heavily about apparatus. Why it's saying that? And here it is clear why. Because it means attacking Bhagavan's own heart. And on the other side, you are practicing bhakti and supposedly you want to love Krishna, but simultaneously you are like putting a knife in his heart. And another says, hey, Krishna, help me, I love you. So Krishna will say, I mean, <laughs> too much of a contradiction there. You have to really be more. Mad elephant, Harimata is compared by Shnapra, the mad elephant uh, dynamics. No. <laughs> you chant, you pray, you get the bath, you go out of the water, you roll on the dust. 
uh, all the bath was over, nonsense. So the same thing. So we should be very careful because how we speak, we hear the scripture say, sometimes we may not find certain advancement because of Aparat. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not to go paranoid, but also it's not to take it slightly like, I'm not committing any Aparat whatsoever at all on any level. If that will be the case, you may say, Krishna, you will be rolling on the ground and crying like a madman, probably. That's what the Bhagavatam say. I don't want to use the words of the Bhagavatam, but it's heavy on that. It's the heart which does not cry after hearing or reciting is made of steel. Steel, you say? Mm-hmm. Iron, <laughs> undue to often the heart. So again, not to get discouraged, but just to realize the nature of the situation and, and gradually go. Because Vaishnava Parat can be of so many levels also, no? I won't enter into that detail, but you have six main Vaishnava Parat. And of course, they will go from the gross, grossest, grossest, mm-hmm. or most gross. How do you know when you say most something or est at the end? <laughs> okay. So you can kill a Vaishnava. I think that's clear that that will be Vaishnava Parat. <laughs> you behead a Vaishnava. Or you can abuse a Vaishnava verbally. Again, you can attack physically Vaishnava. You can think ill about the Vaishnava. So more subtle, no? from killing, and ver- physical, violence, verbal, mental. Hmm? Or also, let's go to something more subtle. You may not just be happy while seeing a Vaishnava. That's also considered a form of... Of course, there are levels of Vaishnava. It's not the same. I'm not so happy I killed him. <laughs> that degrees. But you may not be. You may say, "I have not. I have not killed any Vaishnava, so there is no offense." But sometimes you may not be very happy that you see some Vaishnavas, especially those that are challenging for your present situation. <laughs> so, and you may maybe just judging the person because of that thing that makes you uncomfortable, and forgetting that there is a Vaishnava side to that person, and it's work in progress. And eventually the other relative side will be transcended. But you may be just judging that person for that thing that is kicking out you off of the comfort zone. So that, that's apparat, basically. You limit the person to, you are that thing that I don't like. <laughs> it's like I, go, I won't go into those details, but it's important to really. And not go neurotic, but also do not be like the three monkeys. No, blind, deaf, and be open to the possibility I may have to refine my approach in some cases and so Let's go to Srila Prabhupada's purport to this where he says some very interesting things. <clears throat> in this connection, sorry, in this connection, uh, he, Prabhupada explains this verse saying, uh, okay, the very thing that we say, he probably said, we have to understand that since Durbasamuni wanted to basically kill Ambarish Maharaj, we already say, what does it mean to kill a Vaishnava? Maybe you, he didn't make it, but he wanted to do it. <laughs> that Vaishnava for us. No? It's not that, oh no, I tried to kill him, but I didn't kill him. So that doesn't fall in the category of killing him because he's alive yet. <laughs> you want it. It's <laughs> offense. So he wanted to chastise Ambarish Maharaj, therefore, Prabhupada said, he wanted to give pain to the heart of Bhagavan. Because again, my devotees are my heart, say Bhagavan. So if you want to kill the devotees, means you want to kill Bhagavan. <laughs> Strictly speaking. 
Because here Bhagavan is saying, they are always within the core of my heart. So there is some deep empathy. This is a famous case of, for example, where Haridas Thakur was, how do you say, slain in the markets, like 22, 24 markets. Whipped. 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 You are right. Whipped. And eventually, to say that those lashes mm-hmm. were disappearing from him. I mean, and the, and, the, and the guys want to kill him and were realizing, oh my God, we are not killing him. We received that instruction. We will be killed. <laughs> eventually, to say that those lashes appear in Mahaprabhu's body. No? Because again, this is showing this very same point. No? We have no, I mean, not in the monist sense, but there's no difference between us. As Guru Mahārāj will say, you and I become we. This dynamic union. So, his pain, I feel that pain. Not in the material sense, as we spoke yesterday. The pain and joy of the devotee has to do with the Swarup Shakti. So, whatever Bhagavan feels in that context. And then Bhagavan, uh, Bhagavan, Srila Prabhupada, also quotes a famous verse from the Chatur Sloki of the Gita. Tesami Banu Kampartha Mahama Jnana Janta Maha Nasayami Asma Bhavastro Jnana Dipena Bhashvata the Krishna says, out of compassion for them, I, dwelling in their hearts, again, the same point, dwelling in their hearts, here's not Paramatma speaking, <laughs> here's Bhagavan, the Chattu Shloki of the Gita, which is a very high section, destroy with the shining light of knowledge the darkness coming from ignorance, which has many layers of meaning, this, this famous verse also. Uh, but the main point is, Prabhupada quotes it because Krishna, he's saying, I'm dwelling in their hearts. And Krishna is speaking. So, I dwell in their hearts and they dwell in mine. And fi- finally, interestingly, Prabhupada quotes the famous line, Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra, Pitnaya Which means, it's not easy to understand the movements of the Vaishnava. Even a most learned person like Durbasa, I mean, he was known for being a Durbasa, Muni. So Muni means like a thinker. He was a thinker. He liked to eat a lot, but he was a thinker also. <laughs> In the context of eating a lot, he was a Muni. So, but he couldn't understand the movements of Ambarish Maharaj. In the sense of, he thought, he's a mundane king, and he didn't realize which caliber, caliber of the devotee he was. Similar to the famous Jada Bharat, which was before Dear and Bharat Maharaj. Mm-hmm. So when he was taking one of the four extremes of Rahugana's palanquin, mm-hmm. and he, Jadavara was an Abadut. He never spoke a word, he never instructed anyone. He seemed like a dull headed person, like no brain guy. <laughs> and he didn't want to step on the ants. So he was walking like Samadarshana, full compassionate. And the, uh, but the other three were walking like straight and the palanquin was nicely going but suddenly this new guy who took the other extreme was like stopping, moving there and there and the king was saying, what's going on? And the palanquin is not going nicely because Jadabara was walking in a particular way and it's not easy to understand the walking of the Vaishnava. <laughs> and that's where Rahul going to and started to abuse Jadabharat, and for the first time in his life, Jadabharat opened his mouth and enlightened Rahugana. <laughs> Interesting. To say that Rahugana was the deer 
to which Sadhavarata got attached to. So now in this two lifetimes, after they met each other in that particular dynamic, <laughs> he was carrying the deer, not in his lap, like Sadhavarata, but on the palanquin as the king. <laughs> so, so the point is here that not even someone learned as Durbas, I was not able to understand the movements of someone like Ambarish. So what to speak about the understanding the movements of someone like the Brajavasis, which seem oh, more overtly like a prakrita, like seems like mundane, but it's super transcendental or something like that. And Prabhupada concludes his purpose saying, a Vaishnav knows his own business. Whatever he does is precisely right because he's always guided by the Supreme Personality of God. So he knows his business. <laughs> He cannot make a mistake in that sense. He fully surrender. This is a famous example where Srila Siddhar Maharaj, you may know, Guruas quotes this example often. There was some installation of one deity and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta was late for the meeting and different mandatories of, mandatories of the government, people from the government and so on, were waiting and devotees and sadhus. And the devotees asked what to do to Srila Siddhar Maharaj. So he said, we, we can conduct the, the ceremony ourselves. No problem. I know that our Prabhupada will be, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta will be, we'll agree with that. So he does that. But Srila Samaras was not famous for being like a really expert in rituals and all the technical aspects of that. He was beyond that, not below. <laughs> so eventually the deity ceremony came, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati came, everything finished nicely. And one devotee said to Srila Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta eventually, well, the devotee who, who did the ceremony, the Prampratis the, the, the and all that, didn't follow the exact protocol how to do that and this mantra and that mudra, actually. So we want to know, is the deity installed there? Is Krishna actually there? <laughs> and Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta asked, he didn't ask, what, did, what mistake did he commit? He made, he said, who was the devotee? <laughs> He was not interested in saying which was, which was the mudra that was wrong, if you will. <laughs> which mantra was mispronounced. He wanted to know who was the so-called mistaken one. Mm. You tell me who is and I will tell you if he was mistaken or not. <laughs> they say, Sila Siddhar Maharaj, a surrendered person can never make any mistake, he says. Mm. Next topic. <laughs> Deed installed. Next topic. <laughs> no. No? So the, the same thing, the hearts are in the right place. So if the hearts are in the right place, I mean, Krishna is in their hearts, means that. <laughs> so if they are inviting Krishna to recite here and there, Krishna is already in their hearts, the hearts in the right place. Krishna will agree to be there for sure. <laughs> so let's go to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's uh, commentary. That's very interesting. Bhagavan keeps smashing Durbas Muni through Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. But very nicely, actually. Again, it's not Durbas Muni, it's each of us, if you take the courage to identify with the message. So this is the classical conversation exchange between Bhagavan and Durbas. So Bhagavan says to Durbas, Though I want to give you the suitable result for causing pain to my devotee, I do not do so. Understand that this is because I am affectionate to Brahmanas. The devotees are my heart. You, who wanted to afflict my Ambarish, have afflicted my heart. 
So you can imagine how Durbas is at this point, almost melting of embarrassment. <laughs> I think it's more the embarrassment than the fire of the Sudarshan behind his back at this point. That's the real fire here. And Durbasa will say, still he has some arguments to present. Durbasa will say to Bhagavan, if I have offended you, then I fall at your feet for forgiveness. Bhagavan says, I am the devotee's heart. When the devotee's heart is pleased, I am pleased. Go to Ambarish and please him. Now, like, you are trying to please me, but I am in my devotee's heart. Go there. You don't have nothing to do here in Baikuntha. Go back to the place we left before, the beginning, in the earth. Go to Ambarish. So Bhagavan is sending Durvasa back to earth. But Durvasa has something to say in that regard, according to Vishwanath. Durvasa says, but Ambarish invited me, and then he did not feed me. <laughs> Still he has that. <laughs> and instead he ate. He ate. He took some drops of water. He ate. But he invited me, and he did not feed me. Instead he ate. Victim consciousness. Be careful. Do, do you not see his fault? Durbas is saying to Bhagavan. <laughs> so now we will say to Durbas, be prepared for Bhagavan's reply to this. <laughs> so Bhagavan says, they do not know anything except me. You know, like try to get the point. Ambarish does what I desire him to do. Therefore, I ask you, and please reply, between a Brahmana and a Dwadasi, remember that Ambarish was breaking Dwadasi when he took the, between a Brahmana and a Dwadasi, which is more respectable as Dharma? <laughs> Please go. Ask Ambarish. He will teach you, since you are so ignorant of the conclusions of the scriptures on Dharma. Now, like plan, you are putting more emphasis on the that you are a Brahmana, but you don't understand that doing properly Dwadas is above feeding you a Brahman. <laughs> Bhagavan continues. Do not have any shame about this. I also have no knowledge. I do not know anything more than they do. Since the Shruti says that drinking water is both eating and not eating, Ambarish has equally respected the Brahmana and the Dwadasi. But you are ignorant. You do not know that. <laughs> and Vishwanath concludes the meaning, he's speaking for himself, saying, This is hinted, whatever has been said. And he should ask Durvasa, Ambarish, about this in order that he could understand the superiority of bhakti concerning the duadasi over all dharma by showing him the results of his actions. Mm -hmm. So this is an, an interesting point that is made at the end here also. Not only that bhakti is above mukti, we already spoke about that yesterday and these days, but also bhakti is about bhukti or, or karma as well. No? In this case, like what Durvasa was saying, you have to feed the Brahmin before. That's more Barnashram karma consideration. And Bhagavan is saying, he's the Bhakta. That's about karma. Real dharma is Bhakti, para dharma. Real dharma will say the Bhagavan, Samsidir Haditoshnam. Jai, Haribo. Samsidir Haditoshnam means. To give pleasure to Hari, that's real dharma. Atapum virdu yashastra, barna shrama vibhagasa, sanusti tatsa dharmasya, samasidir haritoshna. Real purpose of barna ashram is give pleasure to Hari. So, someone who is giving pleasure to Hari, that's real dharma, the ultimate dharma. 
That's unbelief. Not you, Durbas, Bhagavan is saying. <laughs> so in this way, Bhagavan is hinting to Durbas through Vishwanath's tikka or commentary, go to Ambarish and beg forgiveness to him. This is not the place. Vaikuntha, myself, I am in their heart, in his heart. So basically, this is the end of the section, but if you give me some extra minutes, I would like to share some how the, the whole lila closes. I mean, we've mentioned something, but I would like to mention a little bit more. So let's briefly narrate how this chapter finishes. I mean, there are three more verses for this chapter, but the next chapter closes the whole story. So I will give some summary of that with your permission and blessings. Thank you very much. And of course, by doing that, we also are praying here. Please, Bhagavan, protect me not to follow Durbas' steps and engage in (laughs) Vaishnava. So we are learning from Durbas. He's been instrumental here. We are not here to condemn Durbas because as we already said, he's instrumental in so many highly less blessing Srirat <laughs> and allowing so many nice things to happen. And in the Kopal Tapani with some cryptic sayings there. <laughs> That's another thing. <clears throat> so let's, I, I will share with you the last three verses of this uh, fourth chapter. Uh, I will read them directly. Because these are the, the last words. After these six famous verses, now comes the three more verses spoken by Bhagavan to Durbasa, directing him to Ambarishmar. So he says, Bhagavan to Durbasa, O Brahmana, let me now advise you for your own protection. Try to feel identify with this advice. Please hear from me. Pay close attention. By offending Maharaj and Barish, you have acted with self-envy. Therefore, you should go to him immediately without a moment's delay. I mean, you can say immediately and that's enough, but no, without a moment's delay. There's nothing more important than solving that. I mean, all the other things are not a priority. <laughs> Once so-called prowess, when employed against the devotee, certainly harms he who employs it. Thus, it is the subject, not the object, who is harmed. You follow? You may abuse a devotee, but the devotee is not harmed. The abuser is harmed, actually. For a brahmana, like Durbas, austerity and learning are certainly auspicious. But, when acquired by a person who is not gentle, such austerity and learning are most dangerous. So it's like a... How say blade razor, razor edge? Like very, you can do both things. Prabhupada said that also with Krishna consciousness, you can have a nice shaving, or you can just cut all your face like a razor's edge, something like that. So similar here. So austerity learning, nice, especially for brahmanas. But if you as a brahman are not very loving and gentle, that's most dangerous. And the Bhagavad and the feel of these stories and cursings and so. Oh, best of Brahmanas, you should go, therefore, immediately to King Ambarish, the son of Maharaj Navaga. I wish you all good, all good fortune. If you can satisfy Maharaj Ambarish, then there will be peace for you. There's no other way. Nasty eva, nasty eva, nasty eva. <laughs> Only then, go to him. So that's the end of this chapter. After these six verses we have studied these days, comes these three verses, where... Bhagavan clearly says, that's the way. You can hear from Vaikuntha, okay, some reason was there, have schooled you about who is Ambarish. 
Kwame Bhaktas. They are my heart. So go on earth, go to planet earth, go to my heart in the form of Ambarish Maharaj. You have a seat, Gaurangi? Yeah. You are waiting for Okay, no problem. So this was chapter 4 of the ninth canto. So now we go to chapter 5, which is the one who finishes the whole story, what happens with Durbas and Ambarish. So of course I will make some brief. No, never that brief, but some brief, some brief. So Durbasa at this point obeys. He's ready to go back to earth, or to earth where Ambarish was still folded hands waiting, <laughs> basically. But again, it's to say the Bhagavan, still he didn't beg forgiveness for Ambarish. So the Sudarshan Thakur started to chase again after Durbasa <laughs> in his journey back to earth. So he went quickly to earth and the Sudarshan started again activating behind Durbasa. So Durbasa reaches Ambarish and when Ambarish sees Durbasa, Ambarish falls to the floor, uh, sorry, Durbasa falls to the floor and starts, wants to start glorifying Ambarish. And in his devotional humility, Ambarish feels embarrassed. Like someone glorifying me, what's this? So immediately he starts to glorify Sudarshan Chakra. <laughs> to counteract his glorification. <laughs> I don't want respect, I only want to give respect. You, you, we should be so much engaged in giving respect that we don't have time to receive respect. <laughs> There's no space that respect will enter to us because we are too much covering all the bases offering respect. So that's Ambarish Maharaj. <laughs> the Rasa wants to offer respect, he started Ambarish immediately to glorify Sri Chakra, which was trying to pacify the chakra, which was about to reduce Ambarish to ashes, uh, Durbas to ashes. Hmm? So Ambarish felt himself unworthy. He starts to pray to the, glorify the chakra, like the upholder of all bhakti dharma. And that's the, the, the idea of the chakra here. He's protecting the ones who, who carry that flag of the bhakti dharma, like Ambarish. Someone is attacking them, chakra will come. Chakra will come. Sometimes Srinadev is also mentioned like he's like a manifestation of the chakra of Bhagavan. You can imagine why. <laughs> so at that point, in these prayers, there are many verses with the prayers. I won't recite them, but very nice verses of uh, Ambarish praying to Sudarshan Chakra. Hmm? And asking, please, give auspiciousness to Durvas, to this Brahman. He Durvas was in the floor praying, crying. Hmm? But Sudarshan is, is, is not stopping its pursuit of Durbas. So at, at this point, Ambarish will make an oath. Oath, you say? So, yeah? No, okay. <laughs> Promesa. No, Thank no. you. She will help me if I don't get the word. <laughs> Spanish, English. So let me read the verse in this case. This is the 10th verse of the 5th canto. So Ambarish says, if our family has given charity to the proper persons, if we have performed sacrifices, if we have properly carried out our occupational duties, and if we have sheltered brahmanas, may this brahmana, Durbas, be freed from the burning caused by the Sudarshan. But it said that the Sudarshan disregarded his first oath. <laughs> he was quite enraged yet. He wanted to do something about it. So Amorish made a second both a second prayer, a stronger one. So he said, If the one Supreme Lord 
the reservoir of all transcendental qualities, is pleased with us, since he has love for all beings, as his very self, may this Brahmana be freed from the pain of being burned. So after this prayer, finally, <laughs> Sudarshan Chakra was pacified. Finally. So the Sudarshan was pacified, and Durvasa was pacified. <laughs> and Ambarish was pacified as well. Everyone was like happy. So then Durvasa started to praise Ambarish. He found some moment to do that. <laughs> So he said to Ambarish, I have to share some verses there, nice. He said, Today I have witnessed the greatest of the Lord's the greatness of the Lord's devotees. For although I desired your ha- your bad fortune, you have prayed for my good fortune. What mercy is impossible for those devotees to give? And what offense is impossible for them to overlook? Of course we shouldn't abuse this. <laughs> but we should really appreciate and feel we feel hope. Merely by hearing their names, a person becomes completely purified. So when you find those long sections in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the Srimad Bhattam, which is whole chapters only with names of devotees, you'll say, oh, this is so boring, let's go to some more entertaining sections, and you do not, you have to go through each of those names. Guru Maharaj emphasizes that many times. These names are very nice, very purifying, we should recite them, Understanding what Durvasa is saying, merely by hearing their name, one can become completely purified, having proper faith and understanding. So not to underestimate those sections. as There's no purpose about this chapter. We can just make a new edition of the Bhagavad. <laughs> very important. So Durvasa was saying this very nice point. What's impossible for them to give us mercy? Nothing. They can give all mercy. Like implying, I want to kill you. And you are now praying for my protection. I mean, it's like crazy. It's too much love. I mean, I want to kill you and you are praying for me to be saved. <laughs> and I want the exact opposite for you. So, but that's something, that's something that happens when someone really has love in, in his or her heart. You will be praying. You know, like Christ praying, oh, please, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And they were like... Shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> You have to be. You cannot imitate that for sure. But we should know that's the ideal to attain. I mean, to have such love that, as you say the other day, there are no enemies. Love, love your enemies, as we say the other day. That's a real challenge. Not love your friends. That's very easy. <laughs> so. Durbasa's glorifying Ambarish, and in reply to Ambar, uh, Durbasa's words, Ambarish fell, falls at the feet of Durbas with full humility. And finally, he does what he wanted so much to do, which is to feed Durbasa money. <laughs> that was the whole beginning of this Lila. And Durbasa came, and Ambarish wanted to feed him, but Durbasa went to the Jamuna, fell in Samadhi, never came back, and all this. Interesting thing. Again, Durbasa is instrumental for all this to happen. If Durbasa was, was, wouldn't get mad after Ambarish, we wouldn't have this nice, beautiful prayer. So, <laughs> so finally, finally, Ambarish has the chance of feeding Durbasa Muni. That was the original plan. And it is said that during that time that Durbasa wanted to kill Ambarish, and Ambarish had only taken some few drops of water. Till now, Ambarish didn't take any prasad. And how long did it pass? 
Bhagavatam says one year. <laughs> one year. Because of course, remember, Durvastra fled from earth, went to this planet, that planet, Brahma Loka, one moment in Brahma Loka, it's quite a while here, by Kuntha Loka, return one earthly year. One earthly year, did you say that Ambarish Maharaj only had taken those few drops of water and he was waiting for Durvastra to come back so he could feel the, the Brahman. He didn't want to break his his bow. At first, I have to feed the guest. So, he feeds Durbas. Durbas is fully satisfied, eating quite enough as usual. <laughs> and after, at one point, Durbas asks Ambarish, please, you eat something also. <laughs> so, it is said that Ambarish Maharaj takes the remnants of Durbas money. Again, every single sim detail is really. The person some minutes ago wanted to kill him. He prayed for his protection. He's a Brahmin. I venerate him. I will take his Mahaprasad, if you will. I'm so lowly, fallen, and so on. And it is saying the Bhagavatam, at any moment, Ambarish thought, by my own power, all this happened, and the Sudarshan activated. All this was the power and the mercy of Bhagavan. I'm nobody here. That was the constant experience of Ambarish. That's real humility, as Sanatana Goswami says. We have Bhagavatam You have everything, but you feel you have nothing. Again, it's difficult, it's different that if, if you have nothing, and you feel you have nothing, I mean, that's a fact. <laughs> but if you have all virtues, and you feel yourself, no, it's not because you have some emotional dysfunction, but you have real humility in this case. So let me share some free brief words written by Vishwanath Chaplavarti Thakur, which depicts Durbasa's conclusion of this whole section we have been seeing here. So according to Vishwanath, Durbasa said, if one happens to see a devotee due to the arising of bhakti caused by actions of the devotee, <laughs> then those events will give mercy to the brahmanas having austerity and knowledge. Remember, Durbas is saying that. There is no other way, Nasiyev. I am the example of that, Durbas says. If I did not have intelligence to accept the hospitality of Ambarish, how could I become saved? The pain inflicted by the chakra, remember chakra meant Sudarshan, proper vision, <laughs> was my great benefactor, delivering me from samsara and showing me the path of bhakti. Sudurbhas is shown. On one side, Sudarshan cleaned me from samsara, and on top of cleaning me from samsara, which will be like mukti, she showed me the path of bhakti, the bhakti mark, which is post-liberated status. So it is said that after this, Durbas is fully satisfied with Ambarish, and he takes permission from Ambarish Maharaj to live. And he lives continually, continuously glorifying Ambarish. Durbas is living and just doing Kirtan, chanting the glories of Ambarish. And Vishwanath says in his purport to this section, he says, the Durbasa went from there to Brahmalok mm-hmm. to speak to his friends who had realized Brahman about his own deliverance, Durbasa's deliverance, about the great influence of Bhakti and the devotees and the Lord, who is controlled by the devotees. So... Durbasa couldn't contain. After having that experience, he just <laughs> ran to Brahma Loka and started to share. 
Oh, chant the glories of Bhagavan and Durvas, and this is what happened to me now. <laughs> to his friends who, were, who had realized Brahman, were Jivan Muktas or something. They were just in Brahma Loka waiting for entering Brahman. He said, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, I have something to tell you. We can, there's something more here. <laughs> yeah, we are known as Brahma Bodies, but I have some good news for you, something like you. So he went there to Brahma Loka to create some sacred mischief or something. <laughs> And well, finally, this fifth chapter narrates how eventually in time, Ambarish Maharaj, remember, he was a world king, world emperor, when he grew old, as the Bhagavatam Journal depicts, he divided the kingdom between his um, children, sons, and he entered the forest. Well, that's the classical Bhagavatam uh, quote. The king entered the forest hmm? to absorb himself fully in Vasudev, it says. Uh, as if he was not already to absorb, but well, <laughs> that's a way of saying you can always absorb yourself more and more and more and more. And Sukadev finishes this fifth chapter with one sometimes called false shruti or ashirbat shloka, which means a verse that uh, depicts which is the fruit of going through this narration. Or ashirbat means like benediction, like a blessing shloka for the ones who have gone through this narration. So to all of you who have been patiently here assisting these days. So he, Sukadev says, because he's Sukadev narrating this to Pariksit, the person who chants this narration, or even thinks of this narration about the activities of Maharaj and Barish, certainly becomes a devotee of the Lord. Ambarish Maharaj ki Sudarshan Chakra ki Basamoni ki so, so that's our hope to become a devotee of the Lord, devotee from D to E in capital letters with all the implications that being a devotee implies, which means entering the heart of our Istadev and letting our Istadev enter there and remain there forever. And that's our prayer. So, in this way, this beautiful section of the Bhagavatam is coming to an end. And as we mentioned in the beginning, it's also representing a very a clear trailer hmm, of what's coming next. After this, we almost have the 10th canto, the Brajalila narrative. Hmm. So all this is very important. First, and first, before entering Brindavan, we need to go through all this. We get to, need to get rid of all Vaishnava We need to really understand the position of Bhakti, the glory of the devotees, how Bhagavan is affected by Bhakti. Hmm. All the things will qualify us to further appreciate the the nature of the of the gift we are receiving by Guru Vaishnavas, um, and this will be a really necessary foundation for us to understand what's Krishna Lila about, what's Gaur Lila about, and address such a reality in proper terms. What to speak of living there, it forever. For all of that, we need, in other words, proper sadhu sangha. We could say all this section speak about what sadhu, what's the sadhus, who are the sadhus, according to Bhagavan. Who should be the sadhus for us, therefore, <laughs> and how we should properly address them. Mm? So, by the grace of the sadhus, we have the chance. So, I'm very fortunate to have the chance of having your sadhu sangha, and that's very much connected with this. <laughs> mm? How to properly address sadhu sangha. So, thank you so much for giving me your association these days, these weeks, this last month almost. I have been here, so just tomorrow I will be leaving, quote unquote, hopefully. Mm-hmm following this line that I became trapped in, in, in your hearts and vice versa. So we won't be, as once Guru say, we are not going anywhere, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
we already are like <laughs> trapped there. So it's just some external geographical dynamics, but in the internal plane, it, we are all intermingled there. But thank you so much for your association, and hopefully we can meet each other very soon in the core of our hearts. That's the theater near all of us. So, <laughs> so I don't know if there are any questions. We have some minutes, just in case. Any questions or comments of the ones present here, the ones connected to the <clears throat> oh, to the streaming, I have to allow the mute option. Let's see. <clears throat> I feel like there's so many um, lessons that we can learn from the story. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking when you said the end of the story, how I was thinking how quickly Ambarish forgave, you know, expressed forgiveness. I was going to tell you that he actually didn't <laughs> he forgive did him it, because right, he never took offense. <laughs> so to, that's that's hard. Yeah. That's interesting, and it's delicate because when we deal with sadhus, they are so humble that they will never feel he offended me. She offended, right. but that doesn't mean that. We, we cannot offend them, actually. They may not feel that, but if we abuse that criterion, I mean, we can go to hell, basically. <laughs> but they won't feel that in their humility. But that's not a reason for us not to... I mean, if we are sincere... I mean, if we are sincere and the sadhu is a sadhu, we'll be protected, because you will be close to such a person that will you really feel her, his humility not taking any offense, so that naturally will like, inspire us to not engage in any offense, but actually on the contrary, we'll be like venerating his, her humility. You know? So only if we are too wicked and envious or whatever, we will try to abuse that opportunity, you know? but that's not the idea for sure. So as you mentioned, I mean, actually, strictly speaking, Amboris did not forgive uh, Durbas because he never took offense. <laughs> There's nothing to forgive. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the situation, no? I mean, yeah, yeah. Tried to kill them and now yeah. He himself may be felt, oh, I'm the guilty one, I, 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 because of me all this happened and I want to feel, and you have to travel around the universe with the seduction in your bag, and who am I? I'm not a devotee. Yeah. That's a paradoxical situation, I, I don't know. That makes me think once when, when I heard Radhanath Swami telling that story in, in one of the Abhirbhap of about Mahotsav of Srila Siddhar Maharaj. And he was narrating that he once went to, to Srila Siddhar Maharaj in the Sri Chaitanya Saraswat Math uh, after Prabhupada, of course, had left and after so many unfortunate situations were there in connection to Srila Siddhar Maharaj and lots of offenses to him, what to do. Uh, and he went to beg forgiveness from Srila Siddhar Maharaj from different apparatus that he, rather than Swami, considered that he was committed and maybe some others, but of course, again, we say, you cannot go and beg forgiveness for someone else. No? So he went personally and said, sorry for my offenses, whatever. So he was narrating that he went there, and he fell to Srila Siddhar Maharaj's feet in Dandavat, and, and, and begging for forgiveness for any possible offense he may have committed. And when he like woke up from the Dandavat, he was, he was looking at Srila Siddhar Maharaj's eyes, and Srila Siddhar was crying. And Srila Siddhar said, what offense have you committed? You have not committed any offense. I, I'm a criminal. 
Silasiranath was saying, I'm a criminal. I'm, that, that was the only thing that Silasiranath could say, I'm a criminal. I'm a, but and in which saying he was saying criminal, I mean, just because of extreme humility. I mean, who am I for you to offend me? I'm a criminal. There can, no be, there can be no offense to a criminal. So he, he didn't even say, I forgive you. He didn't say, I'm a criminal, <laughs> like implying. And of course, when Radhanath Swami saw that, he said, he started to cry tremendously, like really feeling, we have really committed up for us here. <laughs> he's not a criminal. If he really say he's a criminal, we are the criminals who have offended So that's how how it works, no? But of course, if both, if, in both parties, there is humility and sincerity. Even if there has been some apparatus, there's always hope for changing. I mean, we are never like condemning someone for eternity. But if the apparatus is there, it's important to point that, not to, again, look for guilty people, but just to help the person to really realize. If you don't realize that, that really can take you, I don't know where. <laughs> So yeah. So I do have a question about Vaishnava yeah. Parad and mm. since you spoke about it so much today and um, and I love the uh, definition of sadhu that you gave us last week. Mm-hmm. Just thinking more about um, you know, finding people like that. So I'm wondering how we balance um, you know, the, the worry of Vaishnava Parad with also the discriminating mind of trying to find truly advanced devotees. Because, um, you know, what happens when you find someone who uh, is a sadhu to some degree, but maybe is not embodying the qualities of a sadhu or is um, maybe you know having not integrity or duplicious nature but yet they are still um, you know you, I feel like you must still think I have to still think that they're pleasing Krishna in the way that they are mm-hmm. but there's also I feel like we have to be somewhat discriminating to find the people that nurture us and you know inspire us and sometimes we can encounter devotees who you know might be hurtful or might be showing qualities that aren't body like mm-hmm. so how do we have that balance of not I mean I have some ideas but I'd like to hear mm-hmm. your yeah, I'm sure you have the, the proper ideas about how to deal with that, but yes, we can share some words. Well, I will say to begin with that, of course, we, we shouldn't think in terms of black and white, no? in, in the sense that devotees, non-devotees, uh, there are levels of devotees. Of course, it, a neophyte won't be able to have to accommodate that. Uh, and we are not blaming the neophyte, I mean, as, as we always say. Most of us have been neophytes, hopefully we are not, but we may need to be yet, whatever, each case. <laughs> all of us needs to be neophytes, all of us needs to be babies, breastfed babies. The problem is not to be a neophyte, the problem is to remain a neophyte, when it's o- o- almost time to, already time to go to the next stage. 
that's when aparat can come. But but my point is, there are so many degrees of devotees, so we shouldn't think in terms of, for example, a devote, you, you say, oh, that devotee is pleasing Krishna. Yes, but there are degrees of pleasing Krishna. I mean, to say there are degrees of devotees is the same thing to say there are degrees of pleasing Krishna. <laughs> it's not black or white. It's not, there are karmis, demons, <laughs> they are against Bhagavan, and they are the saintly devotees. And what in between? <laughs> To begin with our own case. <laughs> no, because as our Guru Maharaj will say, I mean, if you are sincere, you for sure you will feel, I'm not just pure, you'll see that great Paramahamsa, Mahabhagava, but I also don't feel that I am a demon that is against Bhagavan. I mean, at least not by my own merit, but by grace. By my own merit, for sure, <laughs> in my case. But by grace, something has come that is, is had some ideal that is like totally transforming my life. I still work in progress. So, as we are in that, so my first point is we are in that inter, in, in between situation. So, when we look at others and we feel, okay, they are devotees, but I see other things, again, we, re, we should remind, I am one of those. <laughs> I am devotee by the grace of the devotees, not by my merit. But at the same time, I'm still there, there is a non-devotee living with me, <laughs> if you will. There's someone else there, no? like the angel and the devil, if you will. It's still, no? We may have gone through the initiation process and externally we are, but internally there are so many non-devotional currents still going on, sounding there and this and that. And not only internally, sometimes externally we may do some nonsense that hopefully there's no devotee around to see me doing that. No? First, you will be sure I have no tilak. I will put some not sika, put some cap here and sound like a scarf, no, no kantimala. <laughs> and you are like that walking and some devotee will how are you, Prabhu? It's so long. And you're like, oh my, again. <laughs> and Krishna will say, you don't escape so easily. <laughs> They say in Vaishnava etiquette, they say, you should behave as if your guru is always present in front of you. So sometimes we want to trick ourselves, our own mind. Now, now nobody's looking. I mean, <laughs> that's not the idea. But the point is, again, there are degrees of devotees. Rupa Goswami said you have to deal with the neophyte in one way, with your equals in another way, with the superlative Vaishnavas in another way. He's not saying everyone is equal and you relate to everyone equal because that's. I mean, that's not nuance. There is no diversity there. So it's realistic. There are levels of devotees. But he says, to the junior, you act with compassion, like nourishing. With the equal, like friendship. With the superlative, you surrender to them. But he said, all those three types of relationships, in a general way, are really describing them in three groups. All of them will be performed in the context of service. You follow. If a junior comes, if you will, I'm nourishing them in service to them. I'm still, I'm still, I'm in service to them. It's not because they are my junior they should serve me. No, it seems I'm nourishing them, but the nourishing is just the form my service take is adopting. Like you are a mother and you have children. Ideally, if you identify yourself as a servant, you will think it's a service. It's my service to them. It's not that here I am higher than them. No, I mean, circumstantially, 
I have to play that role in relation to them, but it's in the context of service. I don't want to do anything outside of the context of service. Feeding my dog, nursing my children, <laughs> whatever. Even with my mother-in-law. Even. <laughs> Just joking. No? So everything is seva. Everything. Jatila has her role there also. Her glorious place in the lila, for sure. <laughs> so my point is... It, it, you, if you see a devotee and you see, okay, let's say he or she, I see a devotee, there's some part that is devotional and that part is pleasing Krishna. I honor that, I respect that, and I see some other bunch of nonsense there, <laughs> as we always say the other day. First, I have to be, have it very clear, it's not my own, own nonsense projected into the other person. That can happen. We spoke about that one class in Vaishnava etiquette, how to properly perform constructive criticism. Because it's not so easy. First, you have to be clear. It's not my own thing. Projected outside. Also, ask to myself, why am, I, am, I, am, uh, why am I allowing myself to see that in others? Why? What's intention? If, if allowing my time to contemplate that in my mind. What to speak of opening my mouth and saying that? To others, that shouldn't happen ideally, but sometimes if it happens with his intention, there's really compassionate overflow of helping that person. <laughs> and in brief words, and also, if I, say, if I see something that the other should change, for sure I have to do something about that, because only entertaining that in my mind, oh, he has this mistake, he has that mistake, they are doing this nonsense, but we are not doing something about that. I mean, it's just gossip. Even if you don't speak with others, it's like losing your time. It's not very compassionate. But if you get closer to the person and say, you see Gopal Nandini, please, do not put more forearms before the meeting in, the, in this Zoom. That's too much, Aishwarya. Please, do not disturb my intimacy. <laughs> I say that to her already. My point is, if I allow myself to see something to the other person, and to say that to the person, also I will say, and this, I'm not doing that, say that to you, so now I will say it. So sorry. But you can count on me, I can, I can help you in something in order for you to overcome that. So it's, you are not alone in that. So that's the point. If I see some, someone in something, and I say that, I'm committing myself to help that person. Because if I say you, oh, Gurangi Priya, you have to change that, good luck, and I leave. <laughs> and you are like, oh my God, now I have to do... <laughs> That's violence. No? So those things should be really respected. So we, if we see something in the devotee, or, or if we see that and we don't have the confidence or whatever, we can speak that, we may take some respectful distance from that side, but being very careful of not like judging, as we say today, the person only because of that. Because so easy, it's not unfortunate that sometimes the mind goes like the, how do you say, like the zzz. The, the flat that goes to the excrement and remains there. <laughs> so you see a fault, that's that, immediately. And you tend to remain there, and remain there, and remain there, and remain there, and you lose sight of the potential of that person. Mm-hmm. Even an Adolf Hitler has a bright potential. <laughs> you don't believe me? <laughs> Maybe you were Adolf Hitler in previous life, who you knows? And now you're chanting for You don't believe me? <laughs> you are questioning Krishna's Kripa Shakti. <laughs> of course, with this I'm not promoting what he did, but try to get my point. I mean, we never know. So the point is, 
even though you are doing the most wicked things on earth, still the bright potential of this Jiva Shakti is there, latent, somehow or other. So we should never lose sight of that. Even the person is the most envious person of the world, you need to take distance. In the distance, you will think, well, at least that person has a bright potential. You have to see something good. Begin somewhere, like what Prabhupada Siddhanta did with his disciples. They were fighting between each other, only seeing some defects. defects. I called the two of them and said, you speak something nicely about him, you speak something nicely about her. And they were not seeing anything nice. But their guru was giving instructions. So they had two opinions. Like, oh, they were like, Shh. And they finally <laughs> saw some light at the end of the tunnel. And said, oh, he's, he, he has nice potential. <laughs> and after saying that, oh, and also he has this quality. Oh, and that, so after breaking that wall of blindness, so many things started to appear. But sometimes you get so much like trapped there. That you need someone else to, hey, look there. Oh, change your angle of vision. Something nice was there. And you speak about brightness potential, connection with bhakti. The other things become secondary. And we should remain with those. But as you say, maybe we cannot fully associate with that person intimately and take instruction and shelter because... But it's not that you are condemning them or judging them. You are just being objective, appreciating their potential. I'm praying, hopefully, you may become a greatly advanced devotee so I can take further shelter. Now I don't have that capacity. Maybe it's my lack of humility. You shouldn't go neurotic by that as well. <laughs> but there's a place for that also. No? You can think, I don't have the capacity of maybe drawing so much inspiration from that Vaishnav. I don't want to say, he's not so inspiring. That's why I'm not inspired. <laughs> That sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes the devotee may be really inspiring, but maybe we don't want to get really inspired. Because inspiration means commitment, <laughs> not gratification. Sometimes one devotee say, may say, oh, he doesn't inspire me. And actually he's saying, he's not gratifying me. <laughs> sometimes for us inspiration means, he, I want him to say what I want to hear, what I like to hear, to remain me in the comfort Maintain me in the comfort zone. Ah, he's so inspiring. But actually he's throwing me into a hole, basically. And the real inspiration will take you off of the comfort zone, as Guru Mahesh will say. That's the role of the Guru. Create uncertainty <laughs> in a healthy way. Doubt, which will nourish your faith. So the point is, if you are sincere and you want to really be inspired, we will be willing to do so. So some ideas. I hope that they match what you are already having in mind. <clears throat> but yeah, it's nice to appreciate all Vaishnavas. I mean, someone is, as Mahaprabhu said, someone who once said Hare Krishna, already he's a Vaishnava. So to, to begin with, appreciation. So something nice there, and on top of that, trying to nourish that potential. Um, as much as, I, as the situation is still a work in progress on their side, on our side, we may take some distance, some respect, and some particular shell, it's okay. I mean, and we cannot be fully inspired with every single person. I mean, we are also individuals and will, I don't know, we have certain, some scars, certain impression from our particular Gurudev and association. And it's nice to appreciate all the Vaishnav from all the world and all the missions and all the moods. But you cannot just be part of all that at the same time. It's, it's Rasa Abbas, basically. <laughs> it's like saying, I want to be in Brindana. 
to be in Sakya and in Madhuri and in Batsali and in Santara, I mean, you will never get to Vrindavan. <laughs> you will have to be in your place, and from that place you will appreciate everything else. But at the same time, you will feel, as Guru Mahesh will say, this is the best for me. This is what I feel the best for me. Is the best for them? Great. And I have nourished myself from that, but I have my own infinity also. We have here one question from Balaram from New Zealand. So, Balaram, can you take the mic? Oh, he got disconnected when I say that. Oh, no. no. <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, just, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Let's wait for a minute because maybe he got yeah, mistaken. Yeah. He's coming back. <laughs> He's calling us from the future, remember? <laughs> In New Zealand, they are one day ahead of us. We have some news about what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> so I don't know. He asked the question. It's coming. He thought you were done with class. That was a good one, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, any other question? I don't know if you may have any, any other. There's Balaram again. Balaram, we are waiting for your question. Can you hear me, Balaram? I send you the invitation to unmute yourself, even though anyone can unmute themselves if they want. <laughs> but I don't know. He has good questions, and he always has such a great accent. Do <laughs> <laughs> not judge Vaishnav for the accent, <laughs> even positively. One of his great qualities. <laughs> Okay, we have to add that to the list of 26 qualities. We have the 27 qualities of the devotee. Live in the future with nice accent. <laughs> so Balaram, are you there? I don't know if you can hear me. Hi, there you are. Please speak. Now the... Oh, yes, can you hear me? Now. <laughs> now, now we can hear you, yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay now? I can hear you. I don't know if you can hear me. Oh, I think my internet's not good. I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, my internet is not very good. Yeah, I can hear you. Then I, write, I wrote to you in the chat, just make the question, even though you cannot hear me. You later hear the answer. Um, I had a question about one of your previous classes. Okay. Um, and you were, you were talking a lot about um, the, the nature of Bhagavan and um, how Krishna has a very specific personality and um, I was thinking about how when we were young devotees we were 
we were sort of taught about Krishna being like the controller and the maintainer and not so much about the specific qualities of Krishna. So I was wondering at what stage for for a sadhaka does it become relevant to really understand the, the specific nature of Bhagavan because it seems like that can be more or too much to to digest for a, a new devotee and um, we sort of get more of a generic sort of understanding of God in the beginning and the idea of Krishna comes later and so I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about that and when that becomes relevant if yeah yeah if can, you have any thoughts on that yeah can, can you hear me Okay. I can hear you fine. Okay. You don't okay. have a very good connection today. Okay. Okay. I, I'll reply something. Thank you for the question. <clears throat> so, what to do? What to say? <laughs> you are presenting the idea that there are some details, if you want to call them details, <laughs> crucial ones, about who is Krishna. Actually, the the Krishna we worship is Gaudiya Vaishnavas, which may not be introduced, <clears throat> or we may not be fully introduced to them from day one. Although, of course, from day one we hear about Krishna and Vrindavan, and in one sense everything is there, but of course the specifics of that and how to approach that for sure requires some, some time. Uh, and of course we require a considerable foundation of Tattu and Siddhanta uh, before we enter into the domains of, uh, of Madhuri, of intimacy of the brach and the feelings there, you know, in order not to just compare them with our mundane emotions and think that's almost the same, we need to go through the filter of, of Tattva and Siddhanta, which will be a form of Aishvarya, if you will. Like we will say, we have first to learn that Krishna is God, so we day, some way, someday we may forget about that. But first we have to learn very clearly how, why He is God. <laughs> No, Silajiva Goswami presented this sequence in his Sandharvas. I mean, he's first of all speaking about not even Bhagavan, but he's speaking about Brahman, Paramatma, Maya, Tatasta Shakti. And Bhagavan in the context of all that, as, as the higher manifestation. And then he goes to Krishna. First he speaks Tattva Sandharva. I mean, he, first he doesn't even speak about those things. He speaks about how to get proper knowledge, epistemology. How to know? How do I know what I know perfectly? How to obtain perfect knowledge from the transcendental plane, which are the, which is the real medium means for obtaining perfect knowledge? If you don't have that clear, you may just be flying in your imagination. So the necessity of revelation is there, and the Bhagavatam as the ultimate source of revelation for us Gaudias in that connection. Tattva Sandarva then comes Bhagavat Sandarva where Jiva Goswami speaks about Brahman, actually, and Paramatma, but he speaks about Bhagavan in connection to those two other features of the Absolute. <clears throat> and then he elaborates further on Paramatma, in the Paramatma Sandarva, and in the context of speaking about Paramatma, he will speak about Jiva, Shakti, and Maya Shakti, which also we need to know in detail about. Vishwanath Chakravarti says that for a conditioned soul to hear, hear about Maya Shakti and how Maya Shakti works is as beneficial as, as for an enlightened soul to hear about the Rasa Lila. 
<laughs> so the same benefit you will be drawing if, if I second because you will you are so close to Maya Shakti, if you will, that you need to understand how Maya Shakti is actually a Shakti of Bhagavan and see Bhagavan present there, so Maya Shakti is no longer a problem. That's what the Bhagavatam says. As much as, as much as you understand Maya Shakti, you are no longer in, under Maya Shakti. <laughs> and then he goes to the fourth Sandarva, which is Krishna Sandarva, and there he presents the conception of the Supreme Personality of Godhead and Krishna, Braja Krishna, above other faces of the Absolute. And then he goes to Bhakti and then he goes to Prem. Mm-hmm. Bhakti Sandarva, Priti Sandarva. So that said, <clears throat> of course there are different levels of devotees and different, I mean, some devotees may have acquired all that Siddhanta in the previous life. <laughs> and this life is like very quickly like, so you realize, okay, there has been maybe some previous culture here. So not everyone needs to go exactly through the same chapters during the same time. It's not just like the same formula for every single individual. <clears throat> but I will say that because your question was more like in which stage we get start to get more acquainted with these these details that speak more about who Krishna really is in the Lila and our relationship with him and so on. Well I will say that there is no a fixed answer to that why because it will depend a lot on the association you have and on the samskars you have. Because you may get some particular association, even of Gaudiya Vaishnavas, which, who may not be so interested into that degree of intimacy. Who may like, have an affinity for speaking about Krishna and Vrindavan, but not with that, that level of intimacy. There are, there are sections in Golok Vrindavan. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur speaks about that in the Raghavarma Chandrika. He says, for example, if you are a Gaudiya Vaishnava, you are worshipping Radha and Krishna. But in your practice, which has to do with mainly Raga Mark, we are part of the Raga Mark, <clears throat> that's an important poem altogether. I won't elaborate on that, but Baidi Mark, Raga Mark, Ajata Ruchi, Raga Bhakti, and all these elements. But in the beginning, we are not probably fully Raghavaktas, we are not just driven by taste and lowliness and sacred greed for following to the footsteps of the Brajavasis. <laughs> Generally we need some other rules, regulations and based on what the scripture is saying. But if eventually in your practice you don't let the Raghavak, if you will, take precedence and you become attached to certain Baidi level of that and you don't leave that at any point of your advancement I mean you can keep advancing but you are not letting the Baidi section go eventually when you attain even Prem <laughs> you will go to a different section in Golobrinda where for example there is knowledge that Krishna is Bhagavan in Brindam where Radha and Krishna are not in Parakya but they are in Swakya they are married and you are serving them in that particular connection. Vishwanath Chakravartakur mentions that in Raghavarma Chandrika. In, sorry, that's the meaning, that's a, no, that's a, the, the, the purpose to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. But in Raghavarma Chandrika speaks something similar. <clears throat> so my point with this is, you may be in a particular Sangha, which the nature of the association there is that you will be never introduced to let's say, the, the deeper level of intimacy. So, you may even reach to the stages of Asak, Ruchya, Sakti, Bhava, Prem, which is certain, let's say, Aishvari conception, 
of Krishna. And you may have an affinity for that. I'm not saying, I mean, you should like condemn that. It's because in that association, that's the best thing for you. For example, you have the Brahma Samhita. That's a book about Tattva, and it's a very nice book. But also there Brahma is presenting that conception, which is the main line of almost every verse in the Brahma Samhita. The last. Which means? Supreme Controller. Adipurusham. Do you think that someone in our Brindavan <laughs> will say to Krishna, Adipurusham? <laughs> oh, Supreme Controller. No. Nobody's saying that. Brahma is saying that. So that implies there is a place for that. It's not that Brahma is, a, is this deviated by saying that he's an, creating an apasampradaya. No, no, there is a place for that. Of course, I'm not saying that that Brahma, because as we know, Brahma eventually won't take Sakyaras and he receives some introduction. But at one point, he prayed to Govinda with that admixture, you say, mm-hmm. of Aishwarya. So he said, Govinda, which is in, he was speaking to Krishna, and Govinda speaks about Krishna in Vrindavan. But he said, Adi Purusha. So it seems Rasa Vasa, but it's not Rasa Vasa. There is a place for that. There is no place for Rasa Vasa in eternity, but in this case, there is a place for it. So my point is, you can be totally advanced, but with that particular conception. <clears throat> and you can be just starting the process, but receive a particular Sangha, which will introduce relatively quickly to the ultimate, intimate idea of Krishna and Braj. But again, it will depend if this is your first lifetime in practice or not. If you really are starting in this lifetime, for sure you will require some introduction to that. You cannot just be thrown into the intimacy of the Braja Lila and understand it all and already be a member there or something. Certain things need to be in place for not to make a whole disaster with that in your own mind. And, and again, if you are already advanced, you may be more able to deal with those details. And one thing is to deal with that information theoretically. Another thing is to incorporate that in your own practice and to develop a whole so I will say that all those things may start from the beginning in one point. I mean, if you connect to Sampradaya, which is, which is really vibrating in that intimacy, you will start hearing that Harikata, and you may have some idea, okay, that's the goal, but still you yourself are in another situation, so you are not so much involved, but as much as you get purified, you start to get some nishta, for example, will be in a stage where you are really hearing that type of kata, you are thinking about that deeply and your intellect is absorbed in that, still there is no, like, it's ruchi, asakti. So, whatever all these stages represent, they will be applied to, in this case, to this type of intimacy. So, but that can begin from day one on one level and starts to unfold gradually in every single stage. But again, it depends on the association. If you don't have that association, you may have even prem and that won't happen. And or you may come with other samskars. I know the both have joined the Gaudiya Sampradaya and, 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 and have become disciples of, I don't know, Srila Prabhupada. So they started receiving some samskars from Brajabhakti from day one. But after decades, they found, I have an affinity for, for Vaikuntha Bhakti. <laughs> so also that may, of course, each case may be different, but in many cases, maybe they have samskars from previous lives. Or who knows in the way something happened, different cases. So it's something that also we cannot just give one answer universally and that will work for everyone.
But I hope that helps, Balaram. I don't know if you have heard the question of there is any follow-up to that. <clears throat> okay, connection is not so good in the future. No, that was great. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I think we can finish here. We are almost two hours of sharing. So thank you very much to all of you for your time, for your presence, and hope to see you very soon. Shila Gurudev Ki Jai. Shiman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai. Shri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai. Gantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Gaur Bhaktivinda Ki Jai. Gaur Pramanda Ki Jai.